As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. We're excited to introduce you to our reviewer of the week, Tania Najay, who says, great podcast. Hey, my name is Tania Najay and I'm 20 years old. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Even though I'm not pregnant at the moment, me and my boyfriend are looking to get pregnant soon. And I'm so thankful that I found you guys because becoming a mom is a lot of work from pregnancy to labor to just the beginning of their lives. So keep it up. And I appreciate the information that you bring. P.S. I've been sharing your podcast with all the other expecting mothers. Love y'all. Um, I think you need to contact us privately because can we have a moment to appreciate the fact that she's 20 years old and already thinking about what she wants for her birth? Like, right. Wow. Getting kudos educated. to you. I just always admire the moms who are like, yeah, we're going to get pregnant soon and I want to get as informed as possible. I'm like, well, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> just... Me, I was like, I think I want to have a baby. I would like a baby bump. I would like the attention. I was planning the nursery. <laughs> what color do I want to paint it? I wasn't even thinking about options and education. So it was you like guys... 34 weeks before I started Googling anything. (laughs) You guys are ahead of the curve. Props to you, Tania. Hit us with some knowledge, Steph. I would love to. Drop a truth bomb. (laughs) Watch out. Um, No, today is all about informed consent. And we feel like this is kind of our soapbox, right? Like if you follow us at all or you're part of the birth course, this is something that we kind of like try to nail in hard. Like it is your body. It's your choice. You can literally say no to anything and everything under the sun. We had a doctor tell us that. Yes. On a podcast. Yes. So we we just basically want to get into kind of what informed consent is, what it's not, um, how to make sure you're getting it, and then we're going to run you through some different scenarios so that you have an idea of even how to have that conversation. And we'll explain why and what that means in just a bit. So let's start at the very beginning. What the heck is informed consent? Informed consent is explaining the benefits and risks, all of them, of a medication or procedure or what the lack of either of those things looks like. So if I don't do this, if I don't take this medication, if I don't do this procedure, what does that look like, right? It's providing you with that information. It's allowing mother to give her consent, meaning yes or no, to whatever it is that, you know, they're presenting, Okay, so I'll give you an example. When I went to get on birth control, if you guys have been following along, you know I've had fertility issues. I've had 
um, menstrual problems. And so one of my problems is that I've been spotting. And so I went to my midwife and I said, I, I just, I wouldn't, I want to get this done. I don't care even about getting pregnant right now. Please, let's just get it done. And so she said, okay, we're going to try this birth control. And what she said though, I had never heard before. And that is just so that you're aware, this can cause, there is a risk of blood clots, um, particularly to women age 35. Right. And I'm just like, wait, what? I I just stopped her and I was like, well, that was the the most amazing, like informed consent. Nobody's ever told you before. And she's like, it's true. She says, you know, the truth is that we're taught this in medical school. We are taught to say these things, she said, but under practice, it does not happen a lot, which I love that she admitted. And then I also love that she still does it. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, she wants women to have the choice, the option. So that's what informed consent looks like. And then she said, is this something you want to do? And yes. you said, yep, sign me up. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> now let's talk about what informed consent is not. It is not a provider saying something to the effect of, I'm going to fill in the blank to you. I'm going to perform a vaginal exam on you. I'm going to do this. Where is the consent in that? Where is the question of, can I do this? Or this is what I think, and here are the benefits and risks. There was no consent given if they just say, this is what we're going to do next. Yeah, even at some of my prenatal visits, um, especially with my first, it would be, okay, let's do a vaginal exam. And me not knowing any better, I'm like, oh, this is procedure. I, mm-hmm. We just have to do it. Um, but I've also been in situations where they say, you know, you don't have to have a vaginal exam. This is what I'm looking for. Um, if I give you a vaginal exam, would you like one today? Yeah. That's, you know, that puts that back on me and my body. I also have to add here that informed consent is not only highlighting the benefits of something and withholding the risks. That's not informed consent either. So even if they say, hey, I really want to do XYZ procedure. Um, These are the benefits to it. This is why I think, is that okay with you? Well, that's still not technically a full informed consent because they haven't shared with you any of the risks associated with it. Right. And we'll get into a couple of those examples later. But I think the downplaying of the negative effects, like if you ask I found sometimes when you're asking like, okay, like this is the good that it can do. Like, is there anything bad that can come from this? And they say, well, yeah, but not really. Gets like, glossed over. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and most women don't have an issue. You won't, you probably won't have an issue, which is true statistically, but it's, it doesn't matter. That's still something that could happen. And that I think having the information gives a mother the opportunity to trust that intuition. If you don't know yeah. it can be there, then you don't know if you feel like that's going to be a good choice for you. I actually feel more confident when they are giving me the benefits and the risk to something, even if I know it's something that they want me to do, it just creates more trust between me and that provider, right. knowing that they're willing to lay all the cards out on the table for me without me feeling like they're trying to hide something from me. So we're going to give you a couple examples, different scenarios that we're going to walk you through um, for informed consent during pregnancy. It's going to give you a sense of the information that you should receive regarding just a few different options. So number one is vaginal exams. I just gave an example about that, but did you know that you can say no? In case you didn't hear that at the beginning of the episode, you can literally say no to anything. And that is during pregnancy as well as birth. So the benefits to a vaginal exam is it's kind of a piece of a bigger picture. So it can tell them things like effacement and dilation and how high or low baby is in the pelvis and and what your uterus is doing or your cervix is doing. And the truth is, especially if you're coming up against things like inductions, which we talked about in a previous podcast, some of that information is going to be really beneficial. And so maybe you do want to have a vaginal exam for that. Remember, this is during pregnancy, so I'm not talking about looking at dilation during birth. The risks, though, are that it's uncomfortable, 
But I mean, how many, oh, it's just going to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah. You stick your fingers up there. Like, yes, it's (laughs) going to be uncomfortable. And that's not like the super great thing. Um, The truth is it doesn't tell you everything. So if things are not going or progressing, you can't see my air quotes, in a way that is happy to the provider or satisfies the provider's need to know information, that might be a conversation for induction. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you didn't have that vaginal exam, they wouldn't know and you couldn't have that conversation. So, um, and that's to, that, isn't that important to know too? Like that means it was a conversation that likely didn't need to happen. So, um, in other words, it doesn't tell you everything. It's a piece to a bigger picture. And then it's rare, but it could break the bag of waters or cause an infection. And when we're talking here about not getting informed consent, I know Courtney and I have both had doula clients who have said, um, my provider did a really rough vaginal exam mm-hmm. and a couple of times has moved into contractions and or infection, which means what they did was a membrane sweep without consent. So uh, informed consent is so huge, you guys. But if you don't know these things or that you can say no, then it, you don't have an option to kind of push back on some of it. Right. Another example would be a membrane sweep during pregnancy, right? Sometimes they're going to tell you that they're just going to do an aggressive vaginal exam. Well, it's not aggressive. They're actually trying to kind of separate the lining of your bag of waters from the uterus. And the benefits to this are that they can create contractions and begin labor. This could be helpful to a mom who's been in prodromal labor for days and days or we're facing other medical inductions and this is kind of a um, nicer alternative to that, right? So that is a benefit. But the risks associated with it are that it's uncomfortable. I think we've already established (laughs) that, right? It may cause more prodromal labor. It could cause contractions that go on and on and on without really uh, labor getting started. It can cause infection by introducing bacteria up into the vaginal canal. Um, And if you have an infection, this can lead to an induction with antibiotics, maybe a NICU stay for the baby. And um, it has the risk of potentially breaking your bag of waters if they're a little too rough or vigorous or just, you know, maybe your bag of waters is close to breaking and this kind of puts it over the edge. So there's benefits and risks. They really should be telling you the whole picture, all of it when they're talking about um, that procedure. All right, another example is gestational diabetes. There's kind of some back and forth on this. The truth is it could be controlled with diet, but it might not be able to be controlled with diet. You don't always need an induction, but it may be beneficial. Babies are not always too big to go full term, but they might be. And so having the correct information in front of you can help you make informed decisions. Oftentimes we see it's very common for doctors to say, oh, you have gestational diabetes. Let's plan to schedule your induction at 39 weeks. That's not evidence-based care. And there's nothing saying that just because you have gestational diabetes, that it's the best thing, hands down, blanket statement to be inducing every mother early. And a final example for informed consent during pregnancy would be mental health medications. It is important for you to take care of your mental health during pregnancy, just as much as you did prior to pregnancy. It's important for you and it's important for your baby. Um, Different medications can cause different reactions. And so it's really important for your doctor to highlight the benefits, of course, which they're always great at doing, but also the risks that may be associated with particular medications. You guys, I hope you're noticing a pattern and a theme here. Your provider should be, um, they might recommend a procedure, a medication, whatever. They should tell you the benefits, which they're really good at doing, which is why Stephanie laughed. (laughs) They should also be telling you associated risks 
as many of them as they're able to tell you. And then they should be asking you, what would you like to do with this information? Because ultimately the decision is yours. You can consent to or decline anything you want. Yeah. And I found like if you're in a situation where you either can't change providers, you don't get to pick your provider, um, or you're really close to the end and you don't plan on switching your provider, even if you guys aren't totally, you know, if you're butting heads a little bit, um, understanding you can say no, thank you, or you can say, okay, and then choose to do something different if you're right, like not super combative. Cause I think of this mental health medication and they're like, okay, um, I'm going to put you on this medication and you know, it's fine for you and baby, blah, blah, blah. Okay, sure. And you can go home and grab the medication and then do your own research and be Mm -hmm. like, oh, well this medication actually shows that my baby might have withdrawals after they're born. So I need to stop taking it two months prior, which he didn't tell me. So there's some stuff that you can do if you're like, if you don't want to like stand up and, and maybe cause some tension, or if you're just more like a, you want to kick back and not, you know, just kind of not be combative at all. There's some other ways that you can handle that. Right. You can ask for alternatives. Like Steph said, you can say, no, thank you. You can just say, can I have some time to think about that? You can um, fill the prescription, research it later. We call that applying the mother-in-law rule where you act like you're going along <laughs> with what they're saying and then you just do whatever the crap you You know want what? Anyway. That sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, because you don't always need to rock the boat. You can still get your way without being super confrontational. These next couple are going to be examples of what informed consent would look like during birth or some things that come up during birth. Remember that you're going to be talking with your nurse most of the time. And so that's why we stress making sure you've had these conversations with your provider before you're in labor. Um, but you're also going to know, need to know the policies, protocols, and procedures of the hospital or birthplace that you're attending. Because um, just as we heard talking with an OB the other day, they don't have any power over that. So even if it's something that they're comfortable with, um, the, the hospital might have a policy in place that tells them they can't do it. And then keep in mind, as always, that you can say no to any of it. So an example would be Pitocin, right? Your provider comes to you, they feel that your birth isn't following a pattern um, or progressing in the way that they're comfortable with, and so they suggest Pitocin, which is a synthetic form of the oxytocin that your body normally makes. They'll highlight the benefits. Um, This creates contractions. It can be used when you have an epidural. It's useful in preventing postpartum hemorrhage, but there are risks associated with Pitocin. The contractions tend to be more painful. Baby may not handle the medication well, and we'll see that reflected in fetal heart tones fluctuating or even dropping, and it can actually interfere with your body's natural production of oxytocin, meaning once you start it, um, you may have a harder time coming off of that if even if that was on your birth plan. Right. Your body might not pick up and create contractions on its own. And then along with that, I feel like informed consent with induction involving Pitocin, which maybe this is, you know, part of the other podcast. But the truth is, if you're somebody that gets induced every time, but I'm bringing this up because Pitocin is used, if your body doesn't know to make the oxytocin because it hasn't had to, because it's been given Pitocin every time you go to have a baby, then it can actually take longer for your body to kick in and for oxytocin to take hold for labor. And I'll tell you, I experienced that with myself and my midwife did warn me with my third baby because I had used Pitocin with both of my other babies that it might take a while for things to take hold. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened. My contractions were very funky from the beginning and I had prodromal labor and it took a while to get things moving. My body had to like listen and recognize that oxytocin first. The other thing that they should do when they're giving you proper informed consent with Pitocin is that they should let you know the other things, the other procedures, 
um, that will become necessary because you're starting Pitocin. I remember I had a doula client couple and um, despite us having many prenatal visits and me letting them know that, hey, when you're in labor, please let me know and I'll, I'll come to you when you feel that you're ready. Well, they wanted to labor on their own for a while, which is fine. And I totally respect that. But they got so far as to going to the hospital where they were still laboring on their own, still hadn't let me know they were in labor, <laughs> and had actually chosen to utilize a cervical ripening medication. And that's when things started going south. And that's when they called me. They were very upset because the somebody had told them, their provider, that this will help contractions um, get stronger, closer together. Um but what they didn't tell them, they didn't give proper informed consent. What they didn't tell them was that you're also going to need to be hooked up to an IV. You're going to need to be on fetal monitoring constantly. And we'd really prefer you to stay in the bed so that we can monitor you as easily as possible. Because once we start you on a medication, those are the protocols and the policies that we have in place. IV fetal monitoring constantly, ideally in bed. So by the time I got there, they were really upset because nobody had told them that they would have all those other things if they chose to utilize this particular medication. So again, your provider should highlight the benefits, the risks, and then ask what you would like to do. All right. We talked about vaginal exams prenatally, um, but we're going to talk about them now in birth because this is a very common thing, right? You're going to have several vaginal exams, particularly if you're at the hospital. They want to get in every couple of hours. Now, there are some benefits to it because it gives them, a, again, just a piece of the bigger picture. They can tell what position baby is in, how high or low they are. So it just is a general, like, this is some information that we have. Um, but the risks that I'm really not sure we even talk about or that I've heard talked about, maybe occasionally with a mom that has a broken bag of waters, they will say, well, we actually want to slow down on vaginal exams. It can create infection. Um, but that is one of the risks. It can create an infection, and that's whether or not your water is broken. Um, but there's a greater risk if your water is broken. The truth is it may not tell you anything. And so they're gathering information, but the truth is it might not tell them anything for the birth and it doesn't tell you anything about where you're at, which leads to the, it can be defeating to not hear of a noticeable change. So if they checked you and you're a four and it's been four hours and they check you and you're, quote, they say still a four, that doesn't mean anything. So what? I have seen a mom go from four to complete in two minutes and I'm not making it up. The truth is dilation is crap. It doesn't tell you anything. If your contractions are getting longer, stronger, closer together, if you're having to breathe through them, if you're noticing a change in your emotions and your reactions, all of that tells you a bigger picture. So the risk is that it can be defeating and then they can be using that information um, in a way that's not helpful, like, oh, it looks like you're stalling or something that makes it so there, there has to be more interventions. And that's the truth. One of the risks is it can increase the use of interventions and increase the use of them quicker. One that we still see, unfortunately, is episiotomy. This is a cut into the perineal tissues. Um, that's the skin between your... Um, the base of your vagina and your anus. And um, the benefits to doing an episiotomy is that it can help a baby be born quickly. Um, so that's especially useful if your baby is in distress, maybe their heart rate is dropping. But the risks associated with episiotomy are that you're going to have to have stitches. Um, there's the risk of infection. Um, healing is going to take longer. Um, and healing 
total healing might not be able to happen very easily because scissors don't discriminate. They're going to cut through muscle and nerve endings and all kinds of things like that, whereas your body sort of naturally tears around that. Um, it's very rarely necessary. Um, it's a myth for people to say that, well, with first-time moms, you know, they usually end up I eating I hate them. that. If you hear that, run. <laughs> run. That is not the person for you. So then you get to choose for yourself. Do the benefits outweigh the risks? Are there alternatives? Courtney touched on some of these kinds of things um, with Pitocin, but I want to talk about the epidural because this is a common one that many women use. And the truth is there are great benefits to it. It is pain relief. It means if you get your epidural, you are not going to feel anything, supposedly and hopefully, um, from the waist down. You won't feel any of your contractions anymore, or you'll notice that they're there, but they won't be painful. It, the benefits are supposed to be that it relo- allows for rest and relaxation, um, and that relaxation promotes dilation, which I have used an epidural for this benefit, and it totally worked. If you have a long labor, if you can't seem to relax, if you haven't gotten a lot of rest, if um, if things are just so intense that you find yourself unable to relax, then yes, an epidural can be a benefit to you. However, there are risks associated with it. And there's other things that happen once you have it. And Courtney talked about that with Pitocin. This is with the epidural. Okay. If you get an epidural, you have to have a urinary catheter. So you have to be cathed. And then you have a greater chance of a cesarean birth. So that's important to know. You must have an IV. You must have, or likely will have, unless you're at the very, very end, the need for Pitocin because it will stop your contractions. And with that need for Pitocin, your baby may or may not tolerate the Pitocin. And if they don't, then then that's likely leading to a cesarean birth. They may not tolerate the epidural either, for that matter. Right. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Less likely, but that is absolutely, yes, a risk of it as well. Um, The truth is you can't move to more upright positions. And so they don't tell you, well, if you get it earlier, it actually increases the risk of intervention and a cesarean birth because naturally a mother that is in more upright positions where she can move her body and her hips and walk and and things like that, the baby's more likely to move into a better position and be able to be born easily. Less tearing too. Definitely. If you can control your position. Um, And so, and on top of that, same thing, you have to have continuous fetal monitoring from the moment that you have the epidural. And let us be clear, that's not to say that any of these choices are good or bad, but presenting them in such a way that you're only talking about the good and not giving the mother the truth of the entire matter, we find is unfair. And that's why we get on our soapbox about informed consent. So Steph, let me ask you, what would you do if an option is presented to you, you're a laboring, birthing mother, um, and they give you the benefits, and then when you do your due diligence and you ask about the risks, they say, oh, there really aren't any, or you know what, they're really so rare. How would you respond to that? Okay, so I just told Courtney, I actually don't know how I would respond to that, provided I didn't have 
the knowledge already. Because what can you say if that's the information that you're getting from the provider? I just, I feel like that would be a little bit of a red flag for me. It depends on how. Are you talking about pregnancy? No, I'm talking talking about about birth. Yeah. I guess it would depend on how. Um, how much of an emergency we're in for me, right? If it's like, well, you know, you've been laboring for a while. I really think this would help. Well, that's not a rush then. I would be tempted to, you know, so if I ask them, I'm like, well, what are the risks associated with that? And they say, well, there really aren't any, or you know what, they're super rare. Um, You're right. I guess I don't know how I would react in that moment exactly, but I know how I would want to react based off how I'm feeling right now. And that would be, um, that would be a little bit of a red flag for me because I feel like there's a risk associated with almost everything. I mean, there's a risk associated for me sitting here in front of this computer under these fluorescent lights, right? So I wonder if that would be a good time then at that point to utilize the, um, can I take a little time to think about that and then... Or could you bring me some printed information on this? I mean, the yeah, thing about try like to epidural, for example, is they always have you sign a consent. But by the time you're signing that consent, you're not right? going to read it. No. And or if you were trying to, you're not going to be able to focus on it at all. Right. But I mean, you on top of the risks that I give, there's even more than that. They can miss the epidural space and hit the spinal space. And that means that you might need a blood patch or have headaches or back pain for the rest of your life. Like, yes, those are the rare instances. There's a chance it couldn't work. Like there's a chance the needle yeah. or the, the catheter could go up instead of down and numb the top half of you. And that's scary. Like it's happened before. Yeah. But they don't talk about those things. The other thing they don't tell you, P.S., just I don't know. I'm not trying to freak anybody out, okay? But the epidural is completely done by feel. Like it is not an exact science. Like they feel around. They poke around. They're feeling for pressure and all kinds of stuff. Like it's completely – and that's why it's like, well, I hope I have a good anesthesiologist, you know? <laughs> or you have some women who are allergic to it. Like they don't talk about that like you can me. have allergies. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things to consider. So how do you make sure that you get informed consent? Number one is ask questions. What are the benefits and risks to this procedure? And if they tell you or you feel like you're not getting the full scoop from them, this is where I love this BRAIN acronym, right? They Each letter in BRAIN stands for something to remind you and prompt you to, to ask some more questions to make sure that you're getting informed consent. B is benefit, you know, B in brain is benefits, then risks. A is alternatives. Well, what's what's the alternative? Or is there anything else we can try, right? I is what is your intuition telling you? What is that gut that we always tell you? You have those gut instincts. You have mother's intuition. Utilize it. And then the end can be no or need more time. So I guess referring back to that scenario earlier, if I ask, well, what are the risks associated? Well, there really aren't any, and they're so rare. If it's not an emergency situation, I would be tempted to use that N in brain, that no or need more time, probably the need more time. Well, can we have a little time to think about it? And then as soon as that provider is gone, I'm going to be um, trying to research, go to the source, right? Read up about the package inserts or the information on the procedure. If you have a source that you trust, um, maybe a, a doula or some awesome birth course instructors or something, <laughs> maybe reach out to them too. But you can utilize that need more time if it's not an emergency. Back to having um, a provider that you can communicate well with. This is also conversations that should happen very early in pregnancy. And along with those conversations and what Courtney said, you should trust your gut. 
How are you feeling when you're having that conversation? Um, what's the response from the provider? And is it something that speaks true to what you're looking for? I also want to stress here, we also want to stress here for you guys to get educated because the truth is you might not know any of the risks until you research it, even though you're talking with a provider. So in other words, you don't know what you don't know. And perhaps the information that's being given to you isn't the whole story and you'd like to know more. I know for myself, I want to have that information before I walk through the doors of the labor and delivery area. Definitely take a birth course and know what the risks are before speaking with your provider and then see if he explains them. Is this kind of like a catch them and see if they tell you what they are? <laughs> I mean, you don't right? need to call them out, but right? <laughs> Watch and see if they're giving you true informed consent. Understand that providers generally practice in a way that is comfortable to them and safe for mom and baby. And so really make sure that your your styles, your philosophies, your attitudes, your goals for birth match up, the two of you. I think we also need to keep in mind that they're often functioning from routine. And so given that they've seen how many women receive epidurals, sure, the risk of complications associated with that might be relatively low, but that doesn't mean that they still shouldn't mention the risks. I guess sometimes things just get routine and we just need to make sure that despite routine, you're still getting informed consent. And just because something is safe doesn't mean it's going to be your preferred way to birth. Um, just because that's the way that that provider likes to practice and what he likes to offer to his mothers doesn't mean that that's going to be what you're looking for. And so that's why it's really important to communicate early on. Overall, we just really want you to have as much of a say and be a full participant in the conversations and decisions regarding your birth because the more you know and understand about birth, the more questions you're likely to have and the greater um, that will make the conversations between you and your provider. Okay, if we didn't hit this home already, guys. Uh, choosing a provider you like and trust is going to play probably the biggest part, not only in your communication, but your birth experience. And so when it's all over, that's how you feel is going to matter. And it's all because of how you're setting it up. So how you set up your birth team, the knowledge and information you choose to get, the exercises and everything you do to prepare your body, all of that's going to make a difference for how you feel at the end. I'd say the unfortunate part, and I'm guilty of this being my case as well, is we have women that come to us in the birth course with their second, third, fourth baby because of a lack of informed consent. Because when I went in to my very first provider and I was like, I think I want this or I, or I don't know if I want this. Or when they come to me and say, your provider says you need this or um, these are, you know, they, they don't mention the risks that are associated with getting an epidural or this or that. And then I have a situation where I'm like, oh, well, if somebody would have told me these things, I would have chosen to do things differently and I would have had a different experience, a different outcome. Well, you know what? Those are the women that get crazy informed the next time. So if you're here with us, right, like 20-year-old Tania, like you guys, you're ahead of the game. Like yep. it's so good. It's such a, like an empowering and perfect, wonderful experience that you're about to have because of that. Um, I would also say make sure when, when you're talking with a provider, like mother and provider mutual respect is crucial. So all this information that we give you is not so you can walk in with your fists up. It's not so that you can be on the defense from the beginning or even on the offense maybe in some <laughs> cases. Like the goal is to help you have healthy communication and build trust and community with that birth team that you're creating. As you can imagine, we've worked with countless women who have had a full range of birth experiences. A huge portion of how you feel about your birth when it's all said and done has to do with how in control of the decision-making you felt. 
And one of the ways you can make sure that you're directly involved and in charge of the decision-making process is by making sure that you receive proper informed consent. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you.